Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. Welcome back, friends. This is episode 135, and today's guest is talking about a subject that I think many speakers have to deal with, and that is how to make a topic that might not be super interesting or emotionally charged and make it attractive to their audience, especially if you are charged with the topic you have to talk about at work. Maybe it's something that you're not passionate about, but it's part of your job description. How do you make it so that your audience is more into it and excited to hear from you. Or maybe you picked a passion and you have your own business, but your audience is still reticent to engage with you and it's hard to get through to them because maybe they don't know that they need what you have or they're afraid to learn more. So today's guest, Rachel Richards, has a background in finance and she talks all about money. Not that that topic is emotionally charged, but let's just pretend it is. Um, So what she does is she makes it more accessible and simple and fun, and she's going to share how she does that on today's episode. But before we jump into that, let me tell you a little bit about her. Only 27 years old, former financial advisor Rachel Richards has made a name for herself in the personal finance realm. In 2019, Rachel quit her job and retired with over $10,000 per month in passive income. She's the best-selling author of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. She has been featured on The Penny Hoarder and The New York Times and has been contracted to speak at colleges. Rachel is also a real estate investor with 35 rental units. Her valuable money lessons have helped thousands of millennials work their way out of financial despair. She has successfully done what no one has done before, made the topic of money management fun, entertaining, and simple. In the episode, Rachel talks about her membership with Speaker Sisterhood. She was a member of our Louisville, Kentucky club and how it has helped her to improve her speaking skills and work on some of her content for her speeches. So if you're interested in learning more about how to build your public speaking skills and you want to just see what it's like to experience a club, you can go to speakersisterhood.com and click on club directory. And if there is not a club in your community, you can check out our virtual club, which is met, uh, which is held through Zoom and anyone in the world can attend and join those those clubs. And as always, your first meeting is free. So feel free to check it out and see what you think of it. Again, that's speakersisterhood.com and click on club directory. Without further ado, here is my interview with Rachel Richards. All right, Rachel Richards, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic that we're talking about today. And it's one that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to because they have something that they know is important and they know can help people, but their audience may not be gravitating towards them because maybe they're afraid to learn more about it or they think they know enough so they don't need more information, or perhaps the topic is just emotionally charged for them. So you have probably one of the most emotionally charged topics, which is money. And yes. you've, you've managed to write a book that you've gotten into the hands of your audience. You've been able to go out and speak about it. You've been 
um, featured in the New York Times and other publications. So you found a way to get a, get your point across and get the attention of the people you're trying to help. And I'm hoping that on today's episode, you can share some of your insights and learnings with the audience so that they could possibly do some things differently to start getting more attention from the people they're trying to help. But yes. before we jump into all of that, I would love to learn more about you and how you got into money management as a career focus. Yeah, for sure. So my um, earliest memory where the passion for finance was sparked was actually in sixth grade. And I was in this summer water camp with my friends. And I had found this book. It was the Motley Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of. And I was like, this sounds amazing. So I remember um, instead of playing with my friends and going down the water slides, I was sitting at the edge of the pool reading this book for this entire camp. So um, that speaks to to, you know, I'm, I'm such like a finance nerd. I love learning everything about finance. And that's where my passion began. And I started learning everything I could about finance. So, you know, when I was growing up and in high school and college, it kind of became this go-to person that everyone would come to for financial advice. Um, and then when I was going into college, I learned enough that I knew that I was sort of scared of going into debt and I didn't want to go into, I didn't want to have to take out a bunch of student loans to pay for school. So I ended up taking a job selling knives. So I don't know if you've heard of Cutco cutlery, (laughs) but yeah, that's what I did. I sold um, sharp objects to my family and friends. (laughs) Super fun. Um, So I did that sales job and I paid my way through school. And then when I was looking into what I could do as a career, sort of the pieces fell into place. And I kind of thought, well, I have this sales background and I'm really passionate about finance and helping people with their money. So I figured that becoming a financial advisor was going to be the perfect job for me. So that is what I started out doing. Um, It turns out once I got into that, um, I didn't love it as much as I thought because the job truly is 99% sales and cold calls and prospecting. And while I could be good at that, if I forced myself to, it just didn't come naturally to me. Um, So I ended up moving away from that. And then I spent the last three years in my career as a finance analyst um, at a global manufacturing corporation. But all throughout my life, I've still been passionate about helping people with money. And you know, I wrote my books while I was working full-time and I found ways to continue to teach people about financial literacy. Were either of your parents in finance? No. Nope. Neither one of them. Did they talk to you about money as a kid and help you with like managing your allowance or anything? Or was this totally self-motivated? I would say it was mostly self-motivated. You know, I always grew up where we were on a really strict budget in my household. So I just knew that I always wanted to have more than enough money to do anything I wanted and not have to operate on a strict budget. Mm -hmm. Um, But mostly I was just, I was like a book nerd and I was reading as many books as I could about the topic and self-educating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember as a kid when I would want something, the answer was always, we can't afford that. And I would always think, well, why can't we get more money? Is there possible to just like, <laughs> and that was why entrepreneurship was so attractive to me because I thought, oh, there's unlimited income potential when you own your own business. Then you never have to say, I can't afford that unless you're in your first like five years, then you can't yeah. But <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, so you own 35 units of a, an apartment complex. Is that what it is? Yeah, we own 35 rental units. Um, We started investing in 2017. So real estate investing is something that my husband and I always wanted to do just because we knew it was a really great way to build long-term wealth. So we bought our first duplex that year. And then fast forward um, two, three years later, we now own over 35 rental units here in Louisville, Kentucky. That's amazing. 
And that is so smart. And it's incredible that you have that. So you've created a lot of passive income for yourself that you can then have the freedom to write books and think about what you want to do next without all that financial pressure. Yes. And passive income is my favorite topic, Um, but it's so fun. It's, you know, it's really an income stream that you're making money from with little to no work. So rental income is a huge one. Actually, royalty income too, too is a big one. So the money that I'm making from my books is largely passive. And I spend so much time on my business still because I want to grow my business and it's truly what I'm passionate about. But I could also just be a lot more hands-off and it would be a truly a passive income source. That's great. So why did you write the book and how did you take a topic that is typically dry and difficult um, to follow and make it fun and simple? I love this question. When I was in high school and college and I was this go-to person, you know, that everyone would come to for questions about money, I at some point began to wonder why people weren't, you know, reading books like I was or going on websites or learning. And then of course I realized that I'm a super dorky finance nerd. <laughs> Not everyone is that way. Not everyone enjoys making Excel spreadsheets and <laughs> learning about dollar cost averaging in the stock market. <laughs> um, so what I realized is that a lot of those books are really dry and they are hard to learn about. Money can just be a really boring subject and it can be really technical and complex. So I at some point had the thought... I wonder how I can make this topic funny and sassy and simple and really fun to learn about. And that's where the idea for my first book, Money Honey, came from. So I wrote that book and I launched it in 2017. Um, And in terms of how to make the topic fun and simple, you know, that was the big thing. That was hard for me to do. And that's the way I knew I was going to set myself apart from all the other books. So I knew it had to be written in just a really engaging, humorous tone. So I used funny and relatable language. And I'm constantly using language or acronyms or hashtags that I know millennials use and other female millennials because that's my target audience. I wanted to help other people that were like me. So I basically wrote it like I was having a fun conversation and like I'm talking directly to somebody. So for example, do you want me to read a, a quick passage from the book? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So this, this is about credit cards. So here's just an example of the way that I'm writing the book. Okay. Here's how credit cards make money from you. You go to the store and you see a classy $250 trench coat that you must have, but then you cry a little on the inside because you have $11.85 in your checking account. Then you remember that you have a credit card, which means you can buy it right now, even though you don't have the $250. So you do. And then you make minimum payments of $15 per month until it's all paid off. Ah, the beauty of credit. Isn't $15 per month way better than $250 up front? No, not at all. So let's say your credit card charges you 20% in interest, which is pretty common. Guess what, Sherlock? It will take you 19 months to pay that bad boy off. And when all is said and done, you will have paid almost $50 in interest, making the total cost of that trench coat $295.37. Are you still happy with your decision? If you answered yes, go stand in a corner and think about what you did. (laughs) 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 Thanks. So yeah, I just try to make it fun. And the book is a quick and easy read, but it has been wildly successful. And what tips can you share to help turn an emotionally charged topic into something people want to learn about? Yeah, I have a couple tips. I like to talk about my own story and my own struggles. Because that way the audience can see a real story of someone that might have used to be in their shoes and then went on to become financially successful. 
So anyone can relate to that. Um, you know, an example, you know, I talk a little bit about how I grew up and my family was always on a strict budget. And now I have this fear of not having enough money. And I talk about how I'm not perfect. You know, I make mistakes all the time still. Um, I used to hate the idea of budgeting and savings and investing also used to intimidate me. So, you know, my readers aren't alone in feeling those ways, in feeling those ways, because I've gone through that as well. Mm-hmm. Another thing I do is I I try to create urgency because money management is a topic that sometimes is easy to ignore and to just put off into the future. So it's kind of like with dieting. I struggle with dieting because I forget how eating one bad little thing a day can really add up and multiply and impact me over the long run. And money is kind of the same way. So I try to create a sense of urgency in my topic. Um, For example, one example that I give when I'm talking about investing at a young age basically looks at two hypothetical scenarios. So we look at someone when they're 35 years old and they start investing versus someone when they're 25 years old and they start investing. And we look at the incredibly large difference in the amount of money they end up with when they're retired. And so that really drives the point home of why it's so important to invest at a young age. How do you really get through to them though? Because I remember working at my first job after college and someone came in to talk about 401ks and, and had that same point that if you start investing at 25, here's what you can expect at 65 versus 35. And I saw those numbers and I was like, that does seem like a lot a big difference. But I also like going out with my friends and I also really like vacation. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So how do you make that attractive to them? Yeah. You know, something I talk about, and I have put together a keynote speech that I've delivered at colleges. And um, the first half of that speech is more motivational. And the second half is more some concrete action points. But there's this concept called delayed gratification. And there have been a lot of studies done with delayed gratification. There's the marshmallow study. I don't know if you've heard of the study done with the kids and the marshmallow. And they could either eat the marshmallow now, or if they wait 15 minutes, they, can eat, they get to eat two marshmallows. Mm-hmm. And that was a study about delayed gratification. And it turns out that delayed gratification is the single biggest predictor in your success. And not just with you know, dieting and other things in your life, but in particular with money. So your ability to delay gratification will set you up for ultimate financial success. So there's a lot of stories and examples that I use to really drive the point home because the, you know, the, the fact of the matter is you can't just live in, um, you can't just not do anything fun and just give up everything and be so restrictive in your life because I've tried to do that. I've tried to make a budget before and it was so strict that I couldn't do anything and it was really sad. Yeah, you're really and, yourself. Yeah. And I immediately messed up, of course, because it wasn't even realistic to begin with. And then I felt like a failure and it was super discouraging. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that right balance between delayed gratification and instant gratification and just, you know, knowing that line of where you're being irresponsible and do, you know, doing too many things and not saving enough money versus you're being too frugal and, you know, being too strict with your money. And, you know, that's, that's a hard line to, to, to balance. And I think it's something that we'll all probably continually learn and evolve over our lives. Mm-hmm. So telling your own stories using humor, which you definitely used in that excerpt from your book, and then also speaking their language and using the same type of words and expressions that they would use to describe it. Did you do a lot of customer research in order to figure out how to talk about it? Or did you just kind of pay attention to the way you were talking about it and your friends were talking about it? 
So in terms of my book and my books and my speech, I didn't do any formal research, but I used Facebook groups to do informal research. When I was writing my first book, Money Honey, I was very engaged in all these different Facebook groups. And when someone asked a question about money, I would say, hey, I'm a former financial advisor. Here's what I think. And I would write up this really long, helpful, thorough response. And after doing that enough, people would tag me in posts about money and they'd say, oh, you need to ask this girl, Rachel Richards, about this because she's really helpful. And so once I formed these relationships and I started um, being able to go to these people and delivering a lot of value, then I started going to these Facebook groups and asking them, hey, what do you guys think about this book idea? Or what do you think about this blog post? So I got a lot of great feedback that way. And I was able to sort of tweak things and really understand my target audience so that I could speak directly to them. Mm-hmm. The way you're talking about it, it sounds so like nonchalant, like, hey, you guys, what do you think about this? But it's so brilliant and so important to test first and to get that buy-in. And then once you write it, you can come back and say, hey, that blog post you all wanted is right here. So you can check it out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's a great way to put speech content together too and social media posts. Do you use that same method for that kind of content or do you have a different approach? Yeah. So social media, I love using funny memes because there's so many funny money memes out there and I'll I'll save them when I find them. And I use them though, but then I'll create lessons around them. So for example, there was this meme um, I did. I did this about a year ago and it was about spinach. And you know how when you cook an entire bag of spinach, it shrinks down so much and it's like hardly anything is left. Okay. So there's this meme and it has gross pay on the left side and it shows the pan full of the fresh spinach. And then on the right side, it says a net pay and it shows the the cooked down spinach where there's hardly anything left. So it's kind of funny. Um, I use that meme as a post and in the caption, I teach about how it's a big reality check when a recent grad gets their first paycheck and they see how much money they're actually taking home versus what the salary was in their head that they were expecting. So I basically do a whole example and I show how you have to account for all the deductions out of your paycheck you know, social security, Medicare, federal tax, health insurance, retirement. And then it, it goes into how little you're left with after all of those things. So it really resonated well with people because it was sort of attention grabbing and funny. And then I turned it into a really powerful lesson. So I like to use funny money memes um, and create really valuable stories around those. Mm-hmm. I love it. What did you do in order to change your mindset around money from seeing this topic as hard or difficult Um, to something that's simple and easy so that you can kind of get that point across when you're promoting what you're doing? Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, I try to make it like a game (laughs) and this makes it a lot more fun. So there are certain things that I track every month. I track my income, my expenses, my net worth, and I, I make a visual representation, whether it's like a chart or a graph or whatever. But for example, with net worth, your goal is to always grow your net worth and always be increasing it month after month. So it's kind of like a little game with I play with myself. Like how much more can I grow my net worth this month versus last month? Um, and, and once you do it that way, you, and if you're a competitive person, um, maybe you are, I'm a really competitive person. So this kind of motivates me. It just makes it into a little game, which is fun. Um, another thing is that whenever I'm tackling a big project, it can just feel overwhelming just to get started. And a lot of people, I think that you know, they tend to just kind of be in denial about their financial situations because just taking that first step and looking at what's happening can feel really scary. So I just wanted to break it down into small action steps. And then I even broke those down into even smaller tasks. 
So that makes it a lot easier to get started on something. Um, You're not going to be a financial whiz overnight. (laughs) You know, it's something I'm still working towards. So really starting with the easy stuff first, start by just opening up your credit card account and understanding what the balance is and what the interest rate is. You know, do you know the minimum payments? Do you know your total amount of student loan debt? Do you know how much money you're saving each month? Do you know how much money you're spending on food each month? Starting a budget simply starts with tracking your expenses. So you have to know where your money is going in order to be able to make adjustments. So if you're just starting out and you're kind of intimidated, the easiest thing to do right now is to just track your expenses for one month. You don't need to try to make changes. You don't need to try to cut back. Just understand where your money is going. Um, I love the quote by Dave Ramsey. He said, a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Mm. Love it. Um, As far as net worth, I would imagine that a lot of millennials aren't thinking about that yet. It seems like a thing you think about when you're 50. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It can feel that way. Um, and, you know, a lot of people's net worth right now, that if you're a millennial, it could be negative. And so when I was in college, my net worth was zero um, because I didn't, I didn't really have any debt. I did pay my way through school, so I didn't have any debt. But I also didn't have anything in savings because all of my money was going towards paying for tuition. So my net worth was zero for a very long time, but it's still something I tracked because I knew that once I graduated college, I really wanted to be focused on growing that number continuously. And you know that's an easy thing to track. Um, and it's important to consider that from a young age, because if you wait until you're 50 and then you look at your net worth and it's you know $100,000 or $200,000, that's not going to be enough to retire. And that's also not enough time to really make a difference and to kind of turn yourself around. So it's really important that you're informed about that from a young age. And for a lot of us, even if our net worth is negative, we can still focus on just how to make it less negative each month and how to get back to that zero um, where we're just breaking even. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do you have a Facebook group or a way that you can support people as they're starting to do this work? Cause I would imagine that they get excited by your posts and they read your book and they're like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then they fall flat on their face or they stop doing it because they feel like this is really hard. How do you support them and kind of make sure that they, they have what they need to keep going? Yeah, for sure. So I will always take questions from readers of my book. So any anyone that's read my book and has a question as they're reading or they've gotten to this point where, you know, something has sort of messed them up and they're off track, you know, they can email me, they can message me on social media. Um, from readers for readers of my first book, Money Honey, I do have a Facebook group and it has over a thousand people in it. And it's a really fun, safe online community. It's a safe space where we can ask any of our money questions. And I make a point to go in there twice a week and make sure I I directly answer every single post and every single question that's been asked. So, Because it's I love helping people and it's important to me to continue to contribute and give back and um, be a support system for anyone that's read my book. Yeah. So that's another good tip to help speakers and authors who are dealing with these difficult subjects to continue that ongoing support is and be a resource beyond just the, the speaking gig or the book. Um, how have you gotten so much attention for the book and what kind of feedback do you get about what you wrote? Yeah, I planned out uh, um, all these different launch strategies when I was writing and launching my books. Both of my books are self-published, which I'm a huge fan of of being self-published. I read the book Published by Chandler Bolt, and he talks about basically everything you would need to know if you're going to self-publish your book. So from 
finding a book idea to outlining, to writing, to marketing, and then launching. And I had no clue how to write a book or anything in that realm until I read this book. And once I did, I finally knew 99% of what I needed to know. And that's when I put pen to paper and started writing Money Honey. So it's a great resource. Um, The Facebook groups that I talked about... So Chandler talks about creating a launch team and having this launch team of people that are really committed to helping you launch your book and are going to buy it and review it and share it. Um, And I didn't specifically do that for my first book. But what I realized is that by posting in the Facebook groups the way that I was doing, I was actually getting people invested in the success of my book. So in a way, those those people formed my launch team because I asked them, what do you guys think of this book idea? What about this title? What should my title be? What should my subtitle be? I even had a contest where people voted on the different book cover options. So by the time I got to launching my book, there were hundreds of people that I had been interacting with online that were so excited for it and they like couldn't wait to buy it and download it and read it. Um, and in terms of what kind of feedback I get, I get overwhelmingly positive feedback. Um, you know, writing a book and creating a speech, anytime you're putting your work out there, it's a very vulnerable thing. You're opening yourself up to criticism. And that can be something that impacts me as an author and as a speaker, because you're always afraid of what people are going to say. Um, And, you know, they tell you not to ever look at your reviews, which is very true. Don't ever look at your reviews (laughs) because you'll believe the one bad review over the 400 five-star reviews, you know? So, um, but I do get a lot of positive feedback. I get an email or a message a couple times a week where somebody has written in to thank me. And um, it's, it's so humbling, you know, to hear that my book has changed someone's life. Um, So it really encourages me and it tells me that I am doing the right thing and I'm on the right path. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have as a starting point for other speakers and authors who are trying to make their topic more attractive, but are struggling with how to do that? Yes. I love that question. I have five tips. So (laughs) number one, use stories. Use as many stories as possible. They're fun to talk about. They're fun for people to hear and they're very engaging. Number two, use humor. So I talked about using memes. Those are fun even to use in a speech. Um, Use jokes, just make it humorous. Number three, make yourself relatable. So talk about your own struggles. The audience will relate a lot better if you talk about your vulnerabilities and the things that you're struggling with rather than pretending like you have it all together and you're this perfect person. Um, Number four, use language that resonates with your target audience. So I am sassy and fun in my book, Money Honey. And it's resonated really well with female millennials because they feel like they're just having a casual conversation with me. And then number five, um, surround yourself with people that can give you feedback and that can help you. So, and I'm not just saying this because we're on the Speaker Sisterhood podcast, but I love Speaker Sisterhood. And um, I tried out so many different speaking groups and I felt the most comfortable in this one. So it was great being able to practice my speech and get feedback from women who were also in my target audience. Um, In addition to that, I hired a speaking coach and he really helped take my keynote to the next level. Hmm. Um, Do you have a team now, like a board of directors or a marketing team or anyone that you turn to, to kind of help you continue the momentum and the building content? Yeah. So um, this year I'm actually in a mastermind and I am working with an executive book coach and her name is Honore Corder. She's awesome. She helped Hal Elrod Elrod expand his Miracle Morning series. 
Um, so I get to learn a lot from her. She's like a great mentor for me. And then I'm also looking at hiring a social media manager, somebody that can really do a better job of tracking metrics and understanding what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I love all the tips you offered today. And I think that there are things that people can take with them and start implementing today, you know, culling their own stories of, of their experiences with the topic and making these memes or finding memes online and adding humor, all really simple little tweaks that make a huge difference. So can you tell us a little bit more about both of your books? Yeah, of course. So Money Honey is this sassy guide. It's about money management basics. It's really geared towards female millennials. Um, and then Passive Income Aggressive Retirement is about how to retire early. So something that people find interesting about me is that last year at age 27, I quit my job and fully retired, living over $10,000 a month on passive income. Um, so people want to know how I did that. So I talk a lot about that in passive income, aggressive retirement. And I talk about what passive income is and how it works. And then I outline 28 different passive income models. So these are things that anybody can start creating and building. Um, both of my books are available on Amazon as an ebook and paperback. And passive income, aggressive retirement is available as an audiobook. And my Money Honey is about to come out on audio. So I'm really excited about that. And then um, anybody can follow me on social media. You can just search Money Honey Rachel. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can enjoy all the funny money memes. It's a fun account to follow. So enjoy. <laughs> Did you uh, read the uh, for the audiobooks or is someone else doing them? Someone else, someone else did it. I had a time constraint, but the narrator that I hired did an amazing job. I'm really happy with her. I'm, I'm totally fascinated by audiobook readers. I don't know. It just seems like <laughs> that is such a great, crazy job to have to just sit and read into a microphone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sometimes even just after doing a 30-minute podcast episode by myself, I'm like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. I don't know how yeah. people read like for 10 hours. <laughs> but um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, sure. Yeah. So I think uh, what people find surprising about me is that I used to have a debilitating fear of public speaking. And um, there came a point when, after I launched my first book, Money Honey, where I was being approached to do speaking engagements. I was approached by a college in Florida to deliver a keynote. And it was a very defining moment in my life because I knew that no matter if I said yes or no, that decision was going to follow me for the rest of my life. So I was scared. I was, I mean, scared. I lost sleep and I had, you know, anxiety over it for months. But I decided to say yes, because I just didn't want my fear to hold me back. And that's what made me find the Speaker Sisterhood organization. And that's what made me start practicing my speeches and getting in front of audiences, because I was sick of living in my fear and not being able to say yes to things because of my fear. Um, so I just want to encourage anyone listening that I used, you know, if you have a public um, speaking fear, I used to feel the exact same way. And I think anybody can overcome it. I love that you shared that story. Do you enjoy speaking now? It's so fun. Yeah. When, when I, so it was about an eight month um, lead that I had to prepare that speech for the college and I delivered it in September and it was just one of the most fulfilling and energizing moments I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And just to get up on stage and feel like I'm really making a difference. And then all of these students coming up to me afterwards and thanking me and wanting to take a photo with me and the college liked it so much that they asked me to come back a second time. So, wow. yeah, so it's just, it's, it's so cool. And I just, uh, I really encourage anybody you know, to not let this hold you back and that you can absolutely overcome this fear. 
Thank you for sharing that. You're such an inspiration. I love that you have jumped into all of these, you know, scary things. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And that you're teaching other people how to do it too. And we're proud to have you as part of the Speaker Sisterhood community and wish you all the best with everything. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be on the podcast. So thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, there you have it. My interview with Rachel Richards. I hope you enjoyed it. The links to her book and her website and her social media handles are all in the show notes if you want to follow her and see some of her memes and learn more about her work. If you have any ideas for upcoming topics or guests, please feel free to email me, Angela at speakersisterhood.com. And if you liked today's episode and you got some value from it, you can say thanks by leaving a review on iTunes that helps more people to find the show. So that does it for me this week, you guys. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.